City on the edge. 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 We are back after a long period of wandering in the desert of live events and Christmas break. Yeah. We're doing an actual pre-recorded episode. Yep. Um, Old school. Yes. No more of an audience than my my two sleeping dogs. Yep. Even my kids are out of the, the house today. Yep. Yep. So with me is... Nora Hickey. Mike Smith. And, uh, and I'm Ty Bannerman. Hello, everyone. Today we're going to be talking about the uh, one of the darker periods in American history and and also New Mexico history, which is the the era of the Japanese internment camp. But first, um, we've got some New Mexico news, yes, courtesy of uh, of Mike Smith. So why don't you tell us? <sighs> oh right, wait, we're, we were going to do the letter first. Oh, should we do the letter first? I don't know. I well, I feel like your yours is a downer, and then the letter is kind of a nice. Oh, okay, let's do the yeah, downer let's end first. With the yeah, I like nice that. One. That's good. Okay, so tell right. us, tell us about your New Mexico news. So the other morning, um, I was leaving my house to go uh, pick up my kids and take them to school, doing the two household thing. That's always fun, and uh, uh, I was in a great mood because it was really early and I hadn't had coffee yet. And then I got out to my car and something was up with my window and it appeared that somebody had put a blowtorch to the pass- the driver's wow. side front window of my car. And apparently if you do that, it shatters the glass Jeez. and leaves a big burn mark. And they had done it to another car on my street as well, whoever had done it. Really? And it so, was definitely a blowtorch. Well, I mean, that's the best theory that yeah. I've, I talked to. The, the guy at the glass place was like, I've seen this a couple of times. Apparently, people that smoke crack sometimes use these blowtorches that like have high heat. Uh, and mm-hmm. so it could have been somebody just passing through my neighborhood. But uh, that was new to me. It was like, you know, well, this totally sucks and uh, is weird. Have you considered <laughs> that it may have been a rival podcast? Yeah, I, I I did egg ten drink minimums houses That's just what in I case. Was yeah, what's our <laughs> ten drink retaliation minimum or, uh, uh, or uh, potential problems? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They both seem like they're capable of yeah. anything. Or those so. ladies who have the wine podcast. Oh yeah, oh, they are totally those ladies. I forgot about those ladies. <laughs> or Albu Crazy. There's quite a few actually. Yeah, Albu Crazy. It's right yeah. there. They'll yeah, they'll mess you up. It was Anne. I know it. I, yeah. I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier, but. Uh, <laughs> No, but, uh, you know, it was just a bummer. Super expensive to fix. It made me think, like, what's up? Like, I yeah. get breaking into my car and stealing my stuff. That's, right. like, that's logical. You know? <laughs> what if <laughs> On this one person level. said it was art? Would you feel differently? Like, uh, this was their A little creation. bit, but not all art is good and some is malicious. Um, but, you know, I mean, I don't know. Just... Made, my, made me shake my fist at the problems of addiction and inequality in the city. That, yeah. You know, continue you to live, make these situations mm-hmm. happen. We all three live live yeah. in the city. Yeah. Like very kind of firmly in the city. None yeah. of us are, are downtown exactly, yeah. nor is the closest. But I feel like we all live pretty close to the central corridor. Yeah. I-25, yeah. I- I-40. Um, it's... Things happen. People yeah, it's walk true. by and do crummy things. Yeah, for yeah. no good reason. If you're the kind of person that does that sort of thing, please stop. <laughs> yeah, if it was one of yeah. our listeners, <laughs> disc- disgruntled uh, patron, perhaps, yeah. who's like, "You took too long sending me the T-shirt." Yeah, um, please We're, don't do that. Express it through a Facebook message. We're done with live shows for a little bit. Okay. Hey, speaking yeah. of Facebook <laughs> messages. 
Um, we got one that I thought was uh, well All worth right. sharing. It was really, it was a nice pick me up. Actually, I was kind of feeling. I, I got this soon after our um, after our uh, beer history podcast, which. I think left us all feeling a little drained. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah. God, why do we do this? Can we summarize that in brief, really quick, for the listeners that may not have heard that? That oh. we the, we did a show and nobody. Friday night. Yeah, it was a Friday at night. A new brewery. Yeah, so loud, next to a table that never shut up. That hated us, and yeah. and not even didn't shut up, but heckled us. Yeah. Heckled us. And meanly, yeah. and even if you've heard the version that I put up on the uh, yeah. on the feed, right? Um, understand that that's that's a heavily edited version that took out a lot of. Yeah. I mean, we had technical problems. We had yeah. audience problems. Um, it was it was pretty ridiculous, and definitely like yeah, the kind of night where you're just like, why am I doing this again? Right? How much did we get paid for that? Oh, right. nothing. Uh, yeah, I don't, <laughs> right. I don't think it was worth it. Not even a free beer. I but, was angry I mean, by the end of that night. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Listen to the episode for Mike's commentary. Alone. Yeah, I think Mike, Mike had some good, good lines in there. I, I think a lot of them got bleeped. <laughs> but, uh, I tried to leave enough in there <laughs> to get that. Them. We, we seemed funny, but still the good guys. <laughs> um, but anyway, oh, soon after boy. that experience, uh, this popped up on my Facebook, on our Facebook feed. This is from Jean-Yves, and uh, that is my attempt at a French pronunciation. And as Jean-Yves points out in his letter, uh, we're not real great at French pronunciations. Um, but he's actually writing us from France. He's not from Albuquerque. Awesome. Um, he said, I thought I'd send a note to thank you for being my soundtrack for these past few weeks. I live in France, but became excited with the idea of visiting Albuquerque in New Mexico a few years ago, mostly because of the Handsome Family song, A Thousand Diamond Rings, and also because of Breaking Bad. My first visit was in 2013. I went to eat at a pizzeria on Central, and a young guy and his girlfriend at the next table over expressed disbelief when I told them I was here to travel in New Mexico. <laughs> In their view, there were only there were a few good hunting spots on the way to Santa Fe. There was some Indian culture here, but, quote, it's not one of the most interesting cultures. Um, they pretty much told me to go to Denver instead. I did not follow that advice, and have become uh, I have become very fond of both Albuquerque and New Mexico, to the point that I've ended up feeling compelled to come back nearly every year since. I was in bed with the flu right after I left for this most recent trip and desperately looking for entertainment that did not involve opening my eyes. A friend mentioned podcasts, and I remember reading God knows where that there was a podcast about Albuquerque and that I should listen to that. So I started then at home, and during the course of my trip, listened to 20-plus episodes in the car, all of which were fascinating and gave me new insights on the places I was seeing, not to mention new places to go. And then he says... um, also, I was just listening to your tuberculosis episode on the drive from Albuquerque to Denver Airport, and I was delighted to discover the term chaise lounge. To these ears, a hilarious adaptation of the French <laughs> chaise longue. I, I, wow. I'm, I'm doing my best with that one. I'm sorry, sorry Jean-Yves. Sure. I'm sure that was also hilarious to your French ears. But, yeah. but um, God, thank you for that letter. Yeah, that's really so nice. Great. Is that our farthest afield fan letter ever? That is, a, yes, officially be. the uh, the farthest yeah. afield. Yeah. And yeah. I love the fact that somebody uh, came to Albuquerque from as far away f- from as France without 
the kind of family connection that you usually right. think about bringing you to this town in particular and uh, and more or less it sounds like fell in love with mm-hmm. the yeah. place where he continues to come back yeah it's so cool oh, hey that's great uh jean jean yves jean yves yeah all right you sound awesome you need to hang out with us when you Definitely. come here yeah. be on our show if you Look want us up or uh, contact us. we'll take you out to some ghost towns we'll have a good time take you to some shows Whatever you want to do, man. Tell uh, us how to pronounce Che's Lounge. Yeah, that's <laughs> exactly. Official. Sorry, English is an omnivorous language. And it just, uh, but there is this really wonderful book you should check out called uh, Bernard Plassus, New Mexico. It's probably another French word I'm mangling. Um, but uh, it is by a French photographer born in 1945 who came to New Mexico in the late 1970s. And his photos are just so cool because he really sees this place with fresh eyes in a way that like people who were just living here and taking pictures of what they took for granted uh, didn't. And I love that book. It is so interesting. Every time I look at that book then, and then I go out into New Mexico, I feel like I'm seeing it a little bit differently afterward. It's, it's wonderful. That and makes sense. You probably get something out of it. You see it from a whole different context. Yeah, Bernard Plassus, uh, New Mexico. Oh, and also point out this, uh, this gentleman, John Eve, is uh, currently translating um, Rennie Sparks's book, what of short Whoa. stories in the French, and that will be released in the fall. So, if you are wow. in France, or perhaps you would like to read the book of Rennie Sparks of the Handsome Family's uh, short stories, that is great. Um, this book's for you. Wow, awesome! We've got to meet this person. Yeah, yeah. what a cool guy. Yeah, I had a reporter from a French Canadian newspaper come and stay with me once. I don't know. Do any of you remember this at all? This no. is when I was living down at sixteen oh five Gold at Gold Nash by UNM, and um, he stayed with me there and he wrote this profile of Albuquerque uh, as if it was like a crime-ridden cesspool a little bit and <laughs> and it was published in this uh, Montreal newspaper and it was tra- badly translated with Google Translate and then it just like stirred up all this crap here Duke City Fix oh, uh, wow. made a big deal out of it and everyone was like who told this guy all this stuff about <laughs> our city and I'm like well he was staying with me and there it was Right across the street from me, there was a memorial service for these murdered cops that happened like while he was staying with me. And, uh, and I got to say, Mike, you definitely have kind of a flair for, <laughs> for telling these stories of just like random crime and violence in Albuquerque, <coughs> as, as we've heard tonight. Got to keep it real, you know? Yeah. Well, it's part of our lives. And it's definitely a part of But you find beauty in it. <laughs> well, I don't find beauty in the violence well, and the no, I... sordidness, but I do think it's like silly to pretend it's not there. And, right. You know, it's, it's part of our... I, I think we need to address it and yeah, like yeah, make yeah, our definitely. city better and continue to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, it is interesting. Everyone likes drama. That's why totally. you know, Stanley Kubrick said you can't make a bad war movie. It's just like it's excitement on the screen. To, totally. You know, like something that really makes uh, war look bad, you know. But uh, anyway, well, that's great. Speaking didn't we have an, of war. Yeah. Oh. oh what were war. you going to? Didn't we have a second letter? Oh, we do have another letter. Um, it's, it's a very nice short letter, but oh, yeah. it's also a nice, nice one. But um, we, never Jeez, have we love mails. getting letters. I know. It's so yeah, cool. Write us emails letters. and stuff. That's everyone. so nice. It's so cool. Especially like, after we have terrible shows. Well, uh, I mean, the, the show was fun. Our live uh, Black History in Albuquerque one was awesome. I yeah, loved true. That was yeah. fantastic. But that bar one, oh my gosh. I, 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 I like forever. to focus on the negative at all times. Yeah, that's good. That explains a lot. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Actually. Um, all right. Okay. This is from uh, Sarah. Okay. 
Uh, my friend and I plan to visit New Mexico this July. Found your podcast. Have been enjoying it. We are both history kinds of people. Not to mention, we love beer and wine, and we liked your beer episode oh, from that's Sarah nice. in uh, in Maryland. So, whoa, that's hey, they liked the beer episode. Exactly. That, that's really that's why I thought that one was worth including because yeah. I'm like, yeah, even our even even somebody enjoyed the the pain that we <laughs> went through. <laughs> Uh, speaking of pain that people went through, oh. um, tonight <laughs> Good we're talking. Good segue. <laughs> so tonight we're talking about um, the internment of Japanese uh, civilians in the United States during World War II. Um, and the basic thrust of this is that in the wake of the sneak attack at Pearl Harbor, uh, there was a feeling that Japanese um, residents, so both civilians, uh, citizens, and non-citizens who had either like been born in Japan and then immigrated to the United States, or for that matter, had been born here, but to Japanese families, um, were inherently untrustworthy. Yeah. And for the security of the United States, they needed to be removed from their homes on the West Coast and placed into... Uh, well, internment camps um, yes. for an unspecified period of time. But the idea was that if if there should be some sort of, I don't know, invasion or infiltration by the actual country of Japan, then these people would be collaborators and make our lives, um, not make our lives, but make the lives of the uh, the United States more difficult, I guess. Like these people's lives weren't those lives. I mean, right, come on. exactly. Right. Well, that's the thing is, yeah. there's an inherent separation. There, right, right. We're saying right. they are a problem for us, meaning white and people. It was so broad and so horrible the way that they did mm -hmm. that too. I mean, every Aleutian uh, Alaskan person, all the Alaskan mm -hmm. natives that had that at all had slanted eyes or could possibly appear Japanese to any white person were mm -hmm. rounded up and put in camps as well. I mean, it was crazy the extent of this. So there were a number of these camps um, in Texas and North Dakota, uh, in Arizona. Um, and also there were two in New Mexico, one in Santa Fe. Uh, oh, actually, there were three in I New Mexico. I read there were four. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I got three. Uh, Santa Fe, Fort Stanton, and Lordsburg. What was the fourth one? Do you know? There was one um, Old Raton Ranch Camp. And wow. it had no fences, and it was really isolated. It says mm. that there's only, only, but it, 35 Japanese American family members from Clovis, and Clovis oh. um, had a had a Japanese American community mm -hmm. that was fairly not really integrated, but um, well liked relatively, and relatively mm, yeah. integrated. So I think that they moved them out um, to right. this one camp, and it in Raton and there was no fences. Okay. Um, but the, yeah, but they were, they were evacuated from Clovis in the middle of the night to protect yeah. them from, Oh wow. um, <laughs> the people, the, um, Japanese American families from Clovis only mm -hmm. stayed at this camp until 1942 and then they were okay. put elsewhere. So oh, it was, so it was, was like a transitional transitional. Yeah. All right. So I had occasion to go down to Lordsburg for my job. Um, and while I was there, I sought out the site of the Camp Lordsburg internment camp. Um, and there's still something to see there. There's a historic marker. 
There are, if you know where to look, there are a few buildings remaining and some structures that the, uh, that the Japanese um, American internees built. Wow. So you can still see them. Uh, and, but there's, there's not, like the, the sign basically just states that it existed. It doesn't really get into the story of the place. And so upon my return, I did some more research and... Well, what I found is what I'm going to be relating in this uh, in this story that I wrote up, this article that I wrote up. I'm so, glad you wrote this. Yeah. So we head on into that. Let's do it. Okay. On July 27th, 1942, in the desert darkness near Lordsburg, New Mexico, there were sudden shouts. Then two shots exploded into the night air. More shouting followed than quiet. This is a story of darkness and things that happen under its cover. As such, it is a story about not quite knowing. There are shapes moving and things happening, but this darkness covers all and it will never be pierced. Here is what we know. The man who fired the shots was Private Clarence Burleson, a 29-year-old soldier assigned to guard prisoners at the Lordsburg internment camp. The two men he fired his 12-gauge shotgun on were Hirota Isomura, a fisherman, and Toshio Kobata, a farmer, both immigrants who had come from Japan to pursue new lives in California. Both had been imprisoned due to their country of origin, and both died from shotgun blasts to the back. The darkness that covers this story leaves no aspect of it untouched. It is a darkness born from a time when citizens of the United States were not willing to look closely to see what was actually happening in a country that extolled liberty and justice as its guiding principles. It is a darkness born from their willingness to turn their gaze away. Only a few months before, on February 19, 1942, President Franklin Roosevelt had signed the document that brought these three men to their fates. Executive Order 9066 declared that the U.S. government could remove legal residents of the United States at will in order to protect the country against espionage and other potential threats. Within a month, with the escalating war against the Japanese Empire as their rationale, the government used this order to arrest both citizens and non-citizens of Japanese descent who were living in California. Some of these people had been born in Japan, Others were born in the U.S., a country that had nonetheless always viewed them with a murky suspicion. 120,000 people lost their homes, were given ID tags that hung around their necks like they were luggage, were taken to assembly centers, and then by rail car to prison camps where they would be held indefinitely. Officially, they were enemy aliens, whose origins and political leanings meant that the U.S., feared they might turn their backs on their new country in the event of infiltration from Japan. But General John L. DeWitt, who administered the internment program, was more clear in his stated rationale. I don't want any of them here, he testified before Congress, by which he meant anyone whose family had come from Japan, ever. They are a dangerous element. There is no way to determine their loyalty. It makes no difference whether he is an American citizen. He is still a Japanese. We must worry about the Japanese all the time until he is wiped off the map. And so families were removed from their homes, businessmen taken from their shops and offices, farmers from their fields and fishermen from their boats. They filed onto rail cars like cargo, 
and were transported to eight prison camps in the darkness of the American interior. Hirota Isomura and Toshia Kobata were both older men, frail and slow in their movements. Isomura had been a fisherman, but he had fallen from his boat years before, and from then on walked with a hunch and a noticeable shake. Kobata, the farmer, had suffered from the ravages of tuberculosis for 16 years, and his friends later noted that he often needed to take breaks when working or even walking. Neither could be considered much of a threat under nearly any circumstance, but in the end, that didn't matter. They were taken, first to Camp Abraham Lincoln in North Dakota, and then to Camp Lordsburg in New Mexico. Here is what we've been told happened on that remote New Mexican night. Because the army did not want citizens of the small town of Lordsburg, New Mexico, to see and be disturbed by the arriving Japanese prisoners, the train carrying them stopped approximately two miles away from the town to unload them under cover of darkness. 147 Japanese-American men stepped off of the train at Old Morris Siding and began the walk to camp down a disused, rough dirt road. American soldiers guarded them as they went. Two prisoners... Isomura and Kobata, soon fell behind the others, moving slowly and haltingly. Seeing the two older men struggling to keep up the pace, the sergeant in command assigned Private Clarence Burleson to escort them to camp, instructing that the prisoners were to walk at their own pace and rest when they needed. As they moved along, the prisoners asked to urinate. Burleson refused. Then, as they entered the perimeter fence of the prison camp itself, Burleson said, both men started running for the fence to the right. I called out to them to stop, called to them to halt, and they didn't. I immediately threw a cartridge into the chamber of the gun and called to them again, and they still ran. And the man in the front, apparently, the best I could see at that distance, had gotten over to the fence almost and had turned down the fence south, evidently to keep from running into the fence. After I called to him the second time, I fired, and he fell. The other man then turned in the direction that he fell straight toward him. The other man was back three or four steps to the rear of him at that time, so I reloaded my gun and fired on him, and he fell. Isomura died instantly. Kobata lingered through the night before finally expiring in the early dawn. His fellow soldiers declared that Burleson was a hero, and some even picked up the shell casings to hold as a relic of his great deed. The next morning, Japanese prisoners were detailed to dig two graves in the rocky New Mexican dirt. When the prisoners asked why they were digging the holes, the soldier guarding them said, They're graves for Japanese. Keep asking questions and we'll need two more. There are problems with this story, beginning with the idea that two notably infirm elderly men would choose to walk through two miles of New Mexico wilderness and wait to make an escape attempt until they were inside the perimeter of a prison fence. What was their plan, these two men who were known for trembling when they walked and quickly running out of breath while working? To scale the fence and sprint into the desert 300 miles away from the nearest city of any size and 1,000 miles from their home? It is not just with the benefit of hindsight that this incident seems suspicious. Although Burleson's commanding officer at the camp initially cleared him of any wrongdoing, the 8th Army headquarters based in Fort Bliss, Texas, tagged the official report as not quite making sense and soon charged Burleson with murder. It was at the court-martial where Private Burleson gave his version of events. 
He was the only witness to the shooting itself, so his testimony went factually unchallenged. However, in addition to the incongruous idea of the two elderly men's illogical and perhaps physically impossible escape plan, there was another detail that stood out as inconsistent with Burleson's account. Burleson stated that he shot the two men as they ran from approximately 30 yards away. The coroner, however, found nine pellets in close formation square in the back of each dead man. The shells Burleson shot each contained nine pellets, and his sawed-off shotgun was specially designed for firing at close range. For such a feat as lodging nine out of nine pellets in a human being's back, a range of three yards would be far more likely than even ten. And thirty? That seemed impossible. Even with these discrepancies, the court-martial members found that they did not have the evidence to convict Burleson. He was released to fight in the war that would soon claim his life. When World War II ended, so did the Japanese internment camps, despite General DeWitt's efforts to make them permanent. Japanese families returned to the West Coast, though many found that their lands, homes, and businesses had been seized and resold to white Americans. In the 1970s, President Carter's administration investigated the history of the camps and found, quote, little evidence of Japanese disloyalty at the time and concluded that the incarceration had been the product of racism. We are not done with this story yet. If we take a moment to peer still further into the darkness, there is another version of the deaths of Hirota Isomura and Toshio Kobata, a version that requires us to step even further away from the light. According to one of the witnesses who testified at the court-martial, a Japanese prisoner named Samatsu Ishizaki, the official story was entirely fabricated. Ishizaki said that the commanding officer at the camp, the notorious drunk Colonel Clyde Lundy, had arranged for the two men to be killed as an example to the other prisoners. Ishizaki claimed that Kobata and Isomura had been at the camp for some days before the killing and, in fact, had participated in a strike demanding better treatment at the hands of their captors. Unwilling to brook such insubordination, Lundy had ordered them executed and then covered up the crime. This story is undeniably harder to believe than the official account, and it is worth noting that only Ishizaki testified to these events, but some aspects of it remain tantalizing and telling. The infirm Kobata and Isomura do seem more cut out for civil disobedience than sudden breakneck escape attempts. After their deaths, there had been another incident of shocking violence perpetrated on the Japanese prisoners at Camp Lordsburg, when a drunken GI repeatedly and viciously stabbed an internee for no known motive. By the end of that summer, representatives from the U.S. State Department investigated claims that Colonel Lundy was withholding water from the striking internees in violation of the Geneva Convention. And the following February, when the prison guards decided that the prisoners were not working fast enough, one of the soldiers approached an internee, and according to one of the Japanese, quote, he then pulled out his pistol saying, if you don't work, then this will happen, and he fired a shot toward the ground. The internees, who did not have any intention of going on strike then, didn't know what was happening. After the captain fired his pistol, some internees started to laugh, and others were very surprised. And all of a sudden, the guards pointed their rifles toward the laughing Japanese, and the situation suddenly became very tense. Ultimately, we do not know the circumstances of Isomura and Kobata's death, and we will never know them. The key players, killers, commanders, and witnesses are now as dead as the victims. 
Even when there was some chance of bringing the truth to light, the story remained shrouded in darkness. After the court-martial, there seemed to be little interest in uncovering the full story. Here, then, is all we really know for sure. Hirota Isomura and Toshio Kobata were two old men who were branded traitors by the country they called home. They were taken away from their lands, families, and livelihoods, and imprisoned. One summer night, beneath the brilliant scattered starlight of a New Mexico sky, a soldier killed them both, and we will never know why. So Wow, that's yeah. horrible. Pretty dark. Yeah. And I don't well. quite know what to think of it other than certainly the official story doesn't really make any sense at all. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the the distance and the type of bullet with the nine right. scatter shot. Yeah, he was I, saying it was yeah. 90 feet away when he I shot mean, them both and completely hit them with all nine. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, fishy. I mean, the whole thing is, I mean, is a crime. From the context is a crime. Right. I mean, right. no one, no one should have been taken away and imprisoned for their appearance. You know, it's ridiculous. Right. And we see that same sort of racist paranoia happening now. You know, totally, like, yeah. certainly, yeah. Um, with the way that yeah. certain certain uh, reactionary elements will refer to all Muslims as being, you know, a problem. Right. Seriously. Right. Uh, Just lumping right um, people together, yeah. So if you I, go to Lordsburg, mm, yeah, you can walk the same walk that these guys did. You can go from Old Morris Road, which is where the siding was, and you can walk to the side of the camp. And um, well, presumably you could figure out where they were shot and killed, if indeed that's yeah. how things played. Is there any marker of it? The only the marker side? is not on the side of the camp. It's between Olmora's sighting and the camp, and it's right by the highway, uh, just a little east of the Flying J Travel Center. Uh, you can pull off and read it. And really, all it says is that um, that it was a that it was a camp that it held uh, Japanese American prisoners and also later on Italian POWs. So after, mm. so Captain Lundy was removed uh, in 1943 from mm. his post there. Mm. Uh, due to a bunch of indis- of uh, discrepancies and like he was apparently notorious for using the Japanese as like his personal like yeah. servants and uh, misappropriated funds that was supposed to go for their food for his wow. you know liquor and this kind of thing and yeah. then I believe by mid 1943 uh, there were no longer any uh, Japanese prisoners there at all wow. and they brought in Italians. Hmm. Um, Italian POWs. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. there were a lot of Italian POW yeah. camps and in Germans. The yeah, in Germany, some right? In yeah, well, there was in definitely Europe. ones in, in Germany. Uh, yeah. yeah, I did read that the Lordsburg camp was considered more brutal, and it was run by the army mm-hmm. versus the one in Santa Fe was run by the Department of Justice. Mm-hmm. So it was felt that the Department of Justice run one was more fair. Oh, okay. Um, and the Lordsburg yeah. one, was right was not as fair. Which if yeah. you consider the mentalities of uh, of the different organizations, yeah. I guess, yeah. you could mm-hmm. see that that might be the case. Yeah. yeah. Literally considering Japanese to be enemies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we usually do the show about Albuquerque, but you were just in Lordsburg, and that's why we're, we're talking about yeah, this, right? Yeah, well, and what, I also what think... your impression? Of Lordsburg? Yeah, yeah, the area. They have a lot of very, yeah. uh, like, interesting old buildings. Huh. Um, 
I mean, it's it's a beautiful landscape around yeah. there. I did not have a lot of time to spend in the town itself. Um, like I say, a lot of old, interesting old buildings that were that were falling mm. apart mm. there. So. What about that walk of encountering for the Japanese um, American citizens walking? Mm-hmm. Like what was what is the landscape like there? I've never been to Lord. It's uh, fairly flat. It's it's your, you know, <laughs> when New Mexico isn't mountains, <laughs> it's what New it's Mexico what, looks like, but okay. kind of even more flat. Yeah, it, it's definitely like, yeah. you know, looking around. Um, if I were, I mean, admittedly, they're coming in under cover of night, so they wouldn't mm-hmm. have seen anything. Yeah. But um, right. It's through. it's not the kind of place where you could immediately see a hundred different hiding places. It's oh. like if you run mm-hmm. in that direction, people are going to be able to see you for 10, 15 miles. Wow. <laughs> basically. Wow. Interesting. Um, Lordsburg. So I, fi- I do find it pretty hard to believe that that these uh, that these men had any idea of escaping. I yeah. I think maybe you know they asked to uh, to urinate, and I wonder if. One of them started to move off the road, and Burleson panicked yeah. for whatever reason and shot him, causing the other guy to start running because, oh my God, he yeah. just shot my friend. Ugh, right. No excuse, um, but yeah. Wow, uh, I really I, tragic. It is I really it's the whole just, thing. It all is. I can't believe that hysteria. You know, I, I like. It's hard to pick a favorite president because they've all like done such horrible things. <laughs> you know, anytime I start to think of one, like yeah. I, if there was one I ever leaned toward, it would be FDR, and then he had that toward the end. Yeah, he yeah. rounded up right. everybody that looked a certain way and put them in prison camps. Right. You know, right? And call them internment camps, but they were concentration camps. They're yeah, not, they, they not, were. I mean, uh, literal definition. Yeah, right. you know, <laughs> they weren't gassing people, which is good. But. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean. The those camps too. I, I was recently reading about Ansel Adams, who was hired to like pr- uh, take photos of the concentration camps and just like took photos of like only the best aspects of it, like kids oh. playing games and stuff, and like yeah. basically created total <laughs> yeah. propaganda. Like, hey man, you know, stick to taking mm-hmm. pictures of pretty natural stuff because that that was you know yeah. just really I really sullied his name when I found that out that he did that. And I read that the Japanese weren't allowed to bring cameras, so all the photos yeah. are largely from right. white photographers of that. I have seen some really interesting information about that Lordsburg camp because um, when I used to live up in the mountains here, um, one of the people who was really active in the um, East Mountain Historical Society, I think she was she led it at one point, was this woman, Louise Waldron, and she was a little girl growing up when her dad was running that camp. Oh, was her dad Whoa. Uh, Corporal Lu- Colonel Lundy? I, Do you know? Or? I, it was prob- I don't know. Might have been the guy that came after him. There I, was a guy who served there for a while, too. Oh, okay, yeah. But her dad, from I read his letters, because she had them all laid out. She was working on a book about it for a long time. And um, her dad seemed like a decent person who was really, like, panicked about the conditions and everything like that. Oh, people are going to die when it gets hotter here. We don't, yeah. we, 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 like, we've got to figure out the air conditioning system. We've got to figure out this, this and that and this. And uh, he wrote these really detailed letters to his wife, which was illegal, and he wasn't supposed mm-hmm. to do it, but he did it. And just kind of, you know, talking about uh, that, that situation. And she had all these photos and all these letters, and I got to spend a little time with all that and, and uh, talk with her. I wonder if she ever wrote that book because it was a, a really, and I mean, she had a really unique experience of growing up. Waldron uh, was her name. Louise Waldron, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, that's. I mean, you know, I was just having a conversation with somebody about this today. I mean, it would be silly to say that the oppressors 
um, have as bad a deal as the oppressed in any situation. But sure. everyone loses in those situations. Right. You know, like, I mean, you know, you, you can't oppress a, or enslave or imprison a people and not have a part of yourself damaged in the process as well. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you know, as, as uh, has been said elsewhere, like, the number one effect of colonization and domination dominati- domination is loneliness is apartness and alienation you know like mm-hmm. you you can't you know you can't do that to people you, right. you like i mean it, it's 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 just wrong everything everything if you're ever in one of those situations i imagine you would just feel that you mm-hmm. would just feel like you were separate from the right thing for, you, you know you can't be doing the right thing in that situation that kind of paranoia and fear and hysteria right. and scapegoating of innocent people Craziness. Okay, uh, so she, her father was Lewis Korn. Oh, that's right. And that's he was right. the director yeah. of a Japanese internment camp in Arizona. Oh, it was it Arizona? Okay, man, I'm yeah. sorry. I jumbled all this in my mind. And then later in Italy, he coordinated the release of Jewish camp survivors to Palestine and Oswego, wow. New York. Oh, oh yeah. Wow. Pretty cool. Okay, yeah, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, she described him as a really essentially decent person. And, and he that. sounded yeah. like, I mean, but that's the, that's what's, Part of what's so horrible about these things right. is they co-opt people into turn you, being awful, you know? They turn decent people well, it's into always that question. prison guards. Yeah. Or I know it's easy to say, if I was in that situation, yeah. but look at us now. Right. We're in some situation. Right. I'm giving money on occasion to Jeff Bezos. Like, I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, totally. You know, that's immoral on a different <laughs> level. So yeah. awful. Oh, well, I was going to say, Nora's, Nora was looking into uh, some information on, on like the ways of the ways that the prisoners resisted yeah, during their time there. Yeah, both lived and resisted. Okay, so um, what, tell us about that. Well, in particular, poetry and gardening. Poetry were, and gardening. Were really active huh. ways for uh-huh. the prisoners to both you know, maintain identity and also just not be hmm. go crazy out of boredom. Right. Because right. like, technically, I mean, they weren't called prisoners, I think. They were... Oh, they weren't? Often called internees. Hmm. Um, I could be wrong. I'll yeah. just leave that part out. But they they were, no, I, don't know. I, I mean, it was sort of considered like they were being temporarily kept there in order to relocate right. them later on. Right. So there was a sort of a veneer of like they were allowed to elect their own mayors and publish their own newspapers oh, and this man. kind of thing. Right. And and in comparison to the um, Nazi concentration camps, right? Surely they had more freedoms. Yes, yes, yes. But um, yeah, and, but it's pretty low bar. To hear, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and to better hear, than Nazis. <laughs> you know, they had they were kept in by fences mm-hmm. and barbed wire. Yet they could do these things within this contained space. Right. If yeah. they were at the right camp. If they were at the right camp. Yeah. Right. And like the Lordsburg camp, there was. It seems like from what I've read, that there were constant struggles over mm-hmm. uh, guards mistreating them and, uh-huh. you know. Yeah. So. And so um, one historian who I like, and she's part of the New West Historians. Have you guys heard of this group of historians that kind of no. came into popularity in the 80s? Huh. But it was scholarship that had started 60s, 70s. Mm-hmm. And it was all about looking at the West from other perspectives. Makes sense. Um, and so Frederick Jackson Turner yeah. okay. wrote um, The Significance of... Shoot, let me find this title. This is the guy who said that the West was officially closed. Yeah. Right? So he wrote in 1893, The Significance of the Frontier in American History. 
and he's talked about the role of westward mm-hmm. expansion and its role in American identity, democracy, et cetera, and that the West was closed, and that this led West scholarship, Western scholarship um, studies, you know, it, it dominated hmm. okay. how we studied the West. And so the new West historians came and said, Frederick ja- Jackson Turner is leaving so much out. He's leaving yes. out people. He's leaving out the land. Right. Um, he's leaving out, you know, economical stuff yeah. that we need to consider. So Patricia Nelson Limerick looked at um, the, instead of east to west discovery, this mm-hmm. idea of discovery from west to east and forced discovery. Yeah. Right? Because a lot of... Right. That yeah. makes sense. There were people here. These yeah. people have a valid perspective. They saw it as a whole different progression. Right. Exactly. Right. Or yeah. people coming from Japan who would right. come from, from the east and wow. from the... Well, I guess they would have come from the west and gone east, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> you think of them as the east because... Right. But it turns but, out But a lot Earth of them had established, you know, and one of them in the Santa Fe camp was, um, I can't recall his name, but he was a resident in Hawaii. Oh. And the day of Pearl Harbor, he was imprisoned and sent to eventually the Santa Fe camp. So people that have homes in California, Hawaii, mm-hmm. you know, are taken to... right. These and also this idea that the West is so barren, but that yes. in these camps, they they made gardens um, both for eating purposes and mm-hmm. also you know beautifying purposes. Pleasure. Yeah, you mentioned bonsai trees particularly. Yeah. Was that mm-hmm. a was that something that was going yeah. on? Yeah, okay. that was something. Yeah, so right the. Japanese art of bonsai mm-hmm. was practiced, and um, Japanese poetry, both in mm. English and in Japanese, was written. Yeah, yeah, about the experience. Do y'all remember the guy who used to sell bonsai trees out of his van at Pop and Taco? I wonder if there's no. any connection. No, there. but that's a very Albuquerque thing. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's mentioned in the book Typical Pigs by Stephen Ashman, which is a great Albuquerque novel too. Um, Typical Pigs. I love it. That's one of my favorite novels about Albuquerque. It's great gotta read it it's good it's really grimy it's about uh two friends that are trying doing this contest to be the worst person and yeah and <laughs> it's set in albuquerque but it's very albuquerque um that's wow that's yeah. really interesting she wrote she wrote the legacy of conquest yes, which i read forever yes. ago that's the legacy of conquest yeah. and i think this particular es- essay which is the american landscape huh. discovered from the west yeah. um is in that is it not okay yeah, cool. collection in my room of- yeah, um, and I just love their just. Yeah. I love New West historians because yeah. they look at it so that's awesome. Right, newly. Right. I mean, newly from right how we used it, to look it at it. It bucks the traditional narrative too. Mm-hmm. You know? Revisionist history—that term gets such a bad rap. But why wouldn't we revise history? Why wouldn't totally. we? Like, I mean, right. don't, don't change facts, but like let's like get the full context right. and give everybody their say. You know, I don't see any problem with that at all. That is not a bad word, in my opinion. Um, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Whoa, yeah, I mean, and, and also, um, she found that, and I think others have found that many people after this they were afraid to go back, you know, because yeah. of sentiment. It wasn't like, hey, you're free, like, hooray, right. you know, I get to return to American life and the American dream, right? It's, yeah, well, I mean, a lot of them literally lost their lands, and their right? Businesses exactly, as a result, I mean, there was definitely Whoa. an element of. 
I mean, there were people profiting off of this, as, yeah. as there always right. are. When, when, when one person loses something, someone is right there to pick it yeah. right back up again. I would love to revisit this topic with some guests that have firsthand or secondhand knowledge of this. Like, you know, if you're a listener and you know anyone that, yeah. that uh, has personal connections to this story, please... You know, hit us yeah. up. Well, there's certainly plenty right. more to talk about. For sure. Um, yeah. In Santa Fe, there was a camp. In Albuquerque, there was wow. a camp for German POWs, which we can talk about at a later date. Um, yeah, I, I don't think we're going to be running out of... I feel like every single episode we do, we're like, oh, this could be like five more episodes. Right. And this is right. definitely right in there with ends. that. For sure. Uh, let's see. Heavy. Well, yeah. I, I think we've kind of... Um, you know... Something that we didn't mention is where Lordsburg is. Does everyone know where Lordsburg is? I mean, toward, actually, I don't. Toward oh. the boot heel. Yeah, you it's don't know. Way <laughs> south. Okay. West. Yeah. yeah. Southwest. Yeah. It's it's. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Within spitting distance of the uh, the Mexican border, yeah. I mean, you could easily walk there. Yeah. The only time I've ever been there was going to Mexico through it. Long, well, in fact, um, you know, like I say, I was there for work, and one of the people that I met through my work is a rancher. Out and ha- she has land on the Mexican border, mm. and she leaves water and food for people uh, who are Good. who are crossing. Cool, which right is on. It's noble, yeah, yeah for real. It I mean, is. I, whatever whatever yeah. your politics, you shouldn't like people starving to death and dying. Yeah, of thirst yeah. I mean, I, yeah, exactly. Um, I think that seems like a very yeah. compassionate thing to do. Yeah, so. I like it a lot. Oh, and, and she also had one of the Japanese internment buildings on her land. Wow. Uh, oh. She'd actually moved it to her land. Somehow she had inherited it. Whoa. Inherited it. I don't know what the story is there is. she from but, a Lordsburg family? Yeah, old Lordsburg ranching family. So Lordsburg. Uh, maybe we'll talk to her at some point. That would be cool. I think that's one of the... Sh- like the the most like mystical feeling places in the state in a way like that whole area down there is just really, yeah. I spent more time in Arizona on the other side of the New Mexico border around there than, than I have New Mexico. But, but, uh, that, that whole area down there is just like this forgotten out of the way desert. Yeah. That is really, it's really wild. Well, speaking of yeah. mystical and forgotten yeah. Albuquerque deserts, I think, uh, Forgotten, Albu- uh, forgotten New Mexico traditions. Hmm. We're going to be talking about dowsing mm. next episode. So uh, mark your calendars for Get a couple excited. weeks from now. Yeah. yeah, we need some in this drought. Yeah, yeah. Some it seems like it's failed us. Yeah, you know so, that you know. this is a, a heavy, huge, dark topic, and we're not doing it full justice here. Of course, you know. Of I mean, course, you yeah. know, right. the, the, um, There is so much more There's to a say, lot more. and. and uh, and yeah. like Mike said, if you have yeah. any information, stories, yeah. well, get Louise on here. Fact is, we're trying to yeah. secure our own uh, future material as well. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. we can't talk about everything right, in this 45 right. minutes right. Uh, right. episode. So uh, yeah. you're just going to have to wait for our episode on the Camp Santa Fe riot oh, wow. and the Albuquerque POW camp sometime in the future. Oh, yeah, we've got to do one on that. And thank you especially to our our patrons, uh, that includes Natasha Chisdes, Josh Haland, Lando Enchantment, April, Rachel Langer, Julie Bannerman, Amy Nevitt, Christopher Holden, Jim Robillard, Waffle Tech, uh, Ryan Schiff, Ben Tucker, Sierra Nets, John Eve Bart, uh, Jessamine, Farrell Smith, Amy Gabe, Isaac Clark, and Sandra Dodd. Thank you guys so much. And, of course, thanks to all of our listeners. Uh, if you'd like to support us in a financial way, you can go to patreon.com slash 
City on the Edge. And you can sign up to donate a certain amount each month, as little as $1 a month. And it really uh, it helps us out a lot, pays for, uh, pays for our hosting on SoundCloud, um, equipment, uh, makes us feel good, all that. So thank you guys so much. And uh, yeah, it'd be great if you could check that out. And see you next time, or catch you next time. Talk to you. Talk over the internet to you next time. Oh, no.